welcome to Pandemic Podcast, a podcast from Deccan Herald in which we focus on COVID-19 and the news around it. I am your host, Akash Sriram. Today is the 23rd day of lockdown in the country, declared on March 25th, and the lockdown is set to continue till May 3rd. In today's episode, I speak to Deccan Herald's senior correspondent, Akhil Khadidal, about an interesting analysis of recovery rates in Karnataka. Samiksha from DH Business gives us a lowdown of the economic situation in the country. We also have El Subramani talking to Dr. Nisarga, the head of cardiac surgery at a private hospital in Hyderabad. And we have a regular DH fact check. But before we dive into the stories of the day, let's see what the numbers say about India's COVID-19 situation. At the time of recording this, it's 7am on April 16th, Thursday. The total number of cases in India is close to 12,300. Yesterday, more than 800 cases were reported. More than 1,400 people have recovered so far. The Union Ministry of Health and Family Welfare's website said last night that a total of 392 people have died due to COVID-19 in India. Maharashtra has crossed 2,900 cases with 232 cases reported yesterday. Delhi registered just 17 new cases yesterday, which is low compared to the past few days. As for death, Maharashtra tops the chart with 187 deaths, while Madhya Pradesh stands second with 53. The central government has designated 170 districts across the country as hotspots or red zones and issued directions for strict containment measures to control the spread of the virus and make sure it doesn't move to unaffected areas. On the bright side, 353 districts remain unaffected and hence have been termed as green zones. The Health Ministry has ruled out community transmission in the country so far and said that there have only been local outbreaks and cluster cases in hotspots. Karnataka reported its biggest spike in COVID-19 positive cases in a day with 19 fresh cases on Wednesday. It also reported two deaths. Bengaluru Urban, Mysuru and Belgavi in Karnataka are among several cities in the country that have been identified as hotspots. If you thought novel coronavirus affects people based on their immunity level, age and other associated parameters, you could be wrong. A DH analysis of patient data shared by the state health department has revealed a surprisingly fluctuating picture of recovery rate. Nothing seems to be relevant to predict a patient's recovery, not age, not immunity and not even fitness. To tell me more about this, joining me is Deccan Herald's senior correspondent, Akhil Kadidal. Hi Akhil. Welcome to the Pandemic Podcast. Hi, glad to be on here. The WHO and various other health authorities around the world have revealed some data and analysis on how the elderly and patients with comorbidities are more likely to succumb to coronavirus, while the younger and fit recover relatively quickly. But you have analyzed some data and found out something interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about your analysis? It turns out that the medical daily medical bulletins given by the Department of Health and Family Welfare every day are pretty detailed. If you just look at the details, if you go inside and analyze every bit of information that they give you, it re- it results in some startling revelations. One is that, yeah, sure, you know, the, the vast majority of people who die of this disease have been over the age of 55. Yes. And the vast majority of people who recover quickly, I mean, reasonably quickly, are, are young people. But at the same time, we also have young people who are very fit, whose immune systems are apparently very, very normal, according to doctors. The medical establishment, you know, it, it's clear on one thing. The virus passes from your system on an average of 14 days. That, that's how much time it needs to pass from your system, okay, if you're healthy, right, if, you, if your immune system is absolutely fine. 
Now, if your immune system is not fine, that, that's when it takes a longer time for the, for the virus to pass from your system. And obviously, if your immune system is compromised, you know, it can result in secondary infections like pneumonia, uh, ARDS, which results in, you know, which could potentially cause death, right? So that, that so the virus itself is not killing anybody. It's the secondary infections that are killing everybody, right? So uh, what this data shows is that, yeah, you know, we, we're getting a, a huge swathe of people who are in their uh, 20s and 30s re- making a recovery around 14 days, 15 days sometimes. But at the same time, yesterday, patient number 19 was a 31-year-old man and apparently by all uh, accounts uh, of his doctors, very healthy and very fit. Took 25 days to be discharged. You know, that's it's kind of a staggering thing, and this is what has this is what has confused doctors across the spectrum in Karnataka. They don't see they're not able to find a single linking parameter indicating when when patients can recover. There's there's no guideline. So, what sort of problems is this unpredictability in terms of recovery rates causing the healthcare system and doctors? You know, yesterday the first uh, COVID-19 analysis committee was formed. And held its first meeting. Uh, now, this is a committee that's uh, largely comprising of scientists and veteran doctors who are trying to actually do some data crunching now. Uh, the intention, according to what I've heard, is they would they should they'll try to build a parameter, sort of parameters to predict how the virus acts on certain people. But the fact that they haven't done this so far, I don't know. It tells us that the state was so was so preoccupied with actually trying to take care of these patients coming in that didn't bother to do data analysis so far. But now that's starting now. So that's a good sign, but it might take, the first initial report might be out next week, sometime in the middle of next week. But in the meantime, I think this data analysis will reveal many, many startling things. Uh, you know, because, you know, as, as medical staff say, they say that nobody really knows anything about this disease. You know, the original SARS-2003 SARS-1 virus was studied extensively, but this, nobody knows anything. There's a lot of conjecture. Uh, we have studies claiming that, you know, BCG vaccine is mitigating the impact of the virus in India. And then we have the same, so we have another part of the scientific community saying that's nonsense. So there's a lot of conjecture happening and there's no proper studies taking place yet. And maybe when the data is finally crunched and, and, and finally analyzed, maybe we'll have a better idea. But right now, it doesn't seem like there's any concrete way to predict who will get better, when, and how they will fare against the virus. In your story, an official you spoke to talks about viral load and that it is the only factor that seems to matter. What exactly is viral load? I asked the, the official the same question. What is viral load? Viral load is how much of the virus, how, you know, the quantity of the virus in your body, right? The virus, as soon as it gets, enters your cell, starts to replicate. So what, what they think is a lot of these people who are recovering late have got a spectacularly high viral load in their bodies of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. They don't know why in some people the viral load is higher. So this is another mystery that they haven't solved yet. So you've also made a comparison between patient 75 and patient 19, both relatively young patients. Uh, one of them you mentioned took about 25 days to recover, but patient 75 made a faster recovery while patient 19 made one of the slowest recoveries in the state. Is there an explanation for this phenomenon? The thing is, you know, patient. I was talking about patient five, who is a 26-year-old male who returned from Greece, and he he holds a record. Apparently, you know, if if you need to give anybody a medal for a fastest recovery for COVID-19, he's the guy to give it to. So he's uh, he recovered in just nine days. It's actually pretty incredible to think about it because the standard day, according to the medical medical world, is 14 days. Is how many days? 
weeks for the to purge the virus in the system. This guy did it in nine days. And he was, you know, obviously his immune system, everything must have been good, right? Now, patient 19 is the same is the same thing. He was described by his doctors as having an excellent immune system. And in fact, his mother, patient 22, she was discharged after 21 days. So he took, and she was 64 years old, by the way. And so this is a patient 19, is a 31-year-old man who took 25 days to be discharged. And even though his immune, immune system was absolutely fine, it's just really, you know, it's kind of strange, right? Uh, and again, doctors ch- chalk this up to viral load. They say that he had a high viral load, but again, they don't know why he had such a high viral load. Your report says that some appear to make progress at first, but then things take a turn for the worse. Why is that? Is there an explanation? Yeah, I wanted to explain this in detail in my article, but I couldn't because of the word length. It's something called a cytokine storm, right? So essentially what happens is when a virus starts attacking your body, it attacks the cells, right? So it starts killing off cells. And at the same time, the cells release a kind of a distress chemical. Okay, and that, that's called cytokine, right? So if a large number of the cells are dying, uh, that triggers the immune cells to come and try to, you know, try to fight the virus. But as a large, but you have an, apparently from what I've heard from the scientists is that you have a very narrow window of opportunity to, to treat levels of cytokine, right? Cytokine levels. The cytokine, again, is the chemical released by a cell as it is dying. It's like a distress signal, signal, right? If the number of cells dying are large, again, this is if the viral load is high and a large number of cytokines are going to be released. And the immune cells, which are like sniffer dogs trying to, trying to hone out cytokines to fight the infection, they are completely overwhelmed. And they, what instead of apparently starts happening is they start attacking the body themselves. The immune, our own immune cells start attacking the body. And this results in a crash. And this is where if you have comorbidities like you know, hypertension or diabetes, this is where fatalities can ensure. Are there any other important statistics or data points that you found interesting in your analysis? Yeah, you know, just going by the recovery facts alone, all right, it seems like this is a disease that mostly affects men. Just the data, okay, we got 46 males, okay, who've, who've recovered and 17 females. And even amongst those who haven't recovered, we have 13 males today, okay, and nine females who haven't recovered. So the, it seems like more men get this COVID-19 disease than women do. Okay. This is Karnataka. So how exactly did you come about writing this story? What inspired your analysis? Uh, you know, on Saturday, Casey General uh, in hospital, which is also one of the COVID-19 uh, treating facilities in Bangalore, it had a unique method of discharging its patients. It started, you know, sending them off to thunderous applause, right? You know, but when I, when I called up the hospital to find out who had been discharged, it was very interesting that uh, this is a 21-year-old man, the other, another person said 27 and then he'd come from Scotland. Another person said, no, no, he's 23. He came from London. And so, you know, I, I had to go back to the original medical bulletins released by the Department of Health to try and find out who this person was. And there we, it was, it was a bit of a challenge. I, I worked with another, another friend of mine from another newspaper on this. And, uh, you know, we tried to collaborate on trying to identify who this patient was who had been discharged on that day. We, eventually, we discovered by you know, going through every bit of, uh, through every, you know, media bulletin released that he was patient 68. And we could only do that by analyzing when he was discharged. We knew that he was discharged on April 11th. That's the only clue that we had. So this, this gave me this idea. And I think you know, my chief reporter, Niranjan, also had the same idea. Because, you know, he came up to me the next day and he said, you know, we should, uh, we should do a story on uh, analyzing the data and seeing how many, you know, how long people take to get 
to get uh, cured of this disease? How long people, you know, there must, there's a variation, obviously. So, you know, it was interesting. And so he did the initial number crunching. He figured out, um, uh, you know, when the people were discharged. Because, you know, the Department of Health actually makes this very obtuse. All right. They, they're not very clear. They, you know, they'll tell you, you know, for example, April 11th, the April 11th media bulletin that I have on my desktop open right now. It has something like 60 people. OK, listed by patient numbers. Right. But there's no indication of when they were discharged. So Narendra had to go back and figure out when they were discharged. So he did that. And then, you know, I went and then I analyzed the dates, the amount of uh, uh, the of their ages and I tallied all their ages. And then I added the uh, the figured out how many days they had spent in isolation and how many days they had taken to discharge the virus from their system. And because of this, this, this is how this data came about. And I think this is something that can be replicated by other journalists and even citizens, but I don't know if anybody's really done, done it yet. Uh, so I think this can yield a lot of insights. And, you know, now the cases are multiplying, you know, uh, on a massive scale. Thanks for being on the Pandemic Podcast, Akhil. Your analysis was really interesting. The Ministry of Home Affairs has eased some of the restrictions on the lockdown by allowing industries in rural areas to resume operations from April 20. Other sectors that are allowed to resume operations include IT, IT-enabled services, agriculture, SEZs and activities related to agriculture as well as work under MNREGA. The Ministry of Home Affairs also made masks compulsory and banning spitting in public places sale of liquor, gutka, and tobacco. The ministry added that states are not allowed to dilute these guidelines. The total number of cases around the world crossed 2 million last night. The worst affected countries are USA, Spain, and Italy, with the highest number of cases and death tolls. The death toll as of last night stood at a little over 131,000. In the US alone, the total number of deaths is nearing 30,000. German Chancellor Angela Merkel said that the country might ease some restrictions soon. Now let's listen to Samiksha who's joining us with updates from business and economy. Hi, this is Samiksha with updates from business and economy. Today we will take a look at the impact of COVID-19 on earnings of India Inc. with focus on banking and IT sectors. As the country's economic activity has ceased by up to 70%, India Inc., which was already seeing muted earnings for the past three years, is expected to see it shrink by one-fourth in the first quarter, ending June 2020. The consensus among the five analysts on the Lal Street that DH spoke to estimates a hit of at least 15-25% to in the earnings of India Inc. in the coming quarters. The COVID-19 pandemic is impacting businesses across board, and the Indian IT sector is no exception. Most analysts and industry watchers say that with the US and Europe being the epicenter of the pandemic, the Indian IT industry may see the bleak outcome as well. Globally, two IT majors, Accenture and Cognizant, have already withdrawn their guidance for 2020. Closer home, IT major Wipro has released its results yesterday posting a 6.3% year-on-year decline in its net profit for the quarter ended March 31. On the impact of the pandemic on the business, the company painted a gloomy picture. It said that it expects revenues to decline during coming quarters and a tremendous pressure on margins. Though Wipro has not seen any deal cancellations at the moment, it foresees pricing pressures 
budgetary cuts and cuts in discretionary spend. The company, in fact, has decided not to provide any revenue guidance for the June quarter. It also said it was deferring wage increases and promotions and pointed out that though it will honor offers made to campus recruits, the onboarding may be delayed. Tata Consultancy Services will be releasing their fourth quarter results today. Infosys, on the other hand, is yet to announce a date. However, it is expected to come out with the results after April 20. Brokerage firm Motilal Oswal says that uncertainty will overshadow the fourth quarter results. It says that IT companies in India, much like their global peers, are expected to delay their guidance on financial year 2021 outlook or provide a wide guidance band, subject to sharp revisions later on as clients relook their IT budgets. Another brokerage firm, Sher Khan, also highlights some key issues in its outlook for IT firms. It says that the January-March quarter is expected to be a weak quarter for Indian IT companies on account of lower billings from lockdown measures. However, the report does say that it expects a stable margin profile for tier IT companies as benefits from rupee appreciation and lower travel expenses will be mitigated by lower revenue growth and cross-currency headwinds. TCS and HCL technologies are likely to report robust order bookings as these companies have signed deals at the starting of the quarter. The banks, the most important sector in any economy, will see an added pressure. As RBI has issued a moratorium over the loan repayment, the earnings of many banks are set to be hit. The economic uncertainty will also compromise the repaying capabilities of the borrowers, thereby raising the threat of defaults on both corporate as well as retail loans. As the equities in India are witnessing an unprecedented meltdown, the valuations have gotten lower. As of date, for every rupee of earning of Sensex companies, an investor is shelling out rupees 18.02 in March a number which is denoted by the price-equity ratio of the index. This is a reduction of 27% from 24.64 rupees per 1 rupee of earnings in the beginning of March. However, despite valuations getting more realistic, the analysts have a word of caution for the investor. Only pick the top companies in benchmark indices. That's all from DH Business. We will be back soon with more updates. Stay tuned. Moving on, we have heard about the challenges faced by doctors and other healthcare workers in the forefront in order to treat COVID-19 patients. However, even other doctors working in non-COVID-19 environments have a tough time as they always carry a risk of coming in contact with asymptomatic COVID-19 patients. My colleague Subramani spoke to Dr. Nisarga, the head of cardiac surgery at a private hospital in Hyderabad, about the challenges involved. Joining us on the line from Hyderabad is uh, Dr. Nisarga. He's uh, a cardio surgeon and he's uh, working in a kind of a field where the corona threat has sort of changed the landscape a great deal. So let's ask him about it. Dr. Nisarga, how big is the threat that you face in terms of, uh, you know, dealing with patients? Is there an uncertainty uh, in, in your line of work? Uh, see, in the city, there are many 
uh, already positive cases which are getting treated in various hospitals. Even in our setup, we have uh, about three patients who are already admitted with suspicion and we have sent the blood samples. As you know, there are many uh, patients who are getting false negative tests these days. We yeah. can't really uh, rely upon the test alone. If you have a strong suspicion, we treat them as COVID-19 patients um, uh, with all the precautions. And yeah. we, so that we, we can uh, take care of our uh, healthcare workers. Absolutely. Uh, that is one thing. Second, any patient who comes to the hospital, he may be carrying a virus. Uh, so we treat them as an asymptomatic carrier for all the people, whoever comes. Although you screen their temperature, you ask their history, you ask their uh, past uh, travel, but still you treat, you, you see them as a COVID-19 people and you take precautions to treat them. If you have to treat them in a different, uh, for a different purpose. So yes, some of our patient comes for, with a cardiac illness to me, yeah. I yeah. Uh, see that he is a patient of COVID-19 and treat him. What about the, uh, the PPEs, uh, do you have uh, enough of uh, protection? We have, we have good numbers of PPEs uh, uh, now. Last uh, one week, uh, we have had uh, a, a good meeting with our uh, um, MD and uh, he promised us uh, that he has taken a good measure to bring all the PPEs, whatever possible for the healthcare workers. And we have now, including a hazmat suit, and uh, yesterday also we had to operate one emergency bypass surgery and uh, we used all the precautions and we could do it successfully. There are also reports that uh, some of the private hospitals are turning patients away in the fear that uh, treating them would be sort of dangerous to the, to the health workers uh, uh, working with them. So do you think that kind of a fear is... Uh, exaggerated or uh, genuine or yeah, what do you think ob- private hospitals should do obviously it's a new virus even the medical fraternity has to get used to the the reality of the virus and the this is a pandemic which we are treating now uh, the situation is slowly people are getting used to it uh, if we don't treat who else can treat this so i don't see any such negativism at least in my surrounding uh, saying that no, no, we should not uh, take such patients. We are we are moving uh, in a different positive way, rather to uh, welcome such people and uh, uh, treat them. See, today I saw the OPD. OPD is fully set. There are various seat arrangements made. Uh, it is written well where you should sit if you come to the OPD. Uh, there are separate uh, space made into patients uh, grouping testing. All these measures have been taken care in in major hospitals at least. In a smaller in a smaller hospitals, I don't know whether this situation uh, is correctly followed, and I don't think they are following that much. Maybe because of that, they are a little bit scared to take. See, if you follow proper procedures, there is no need to fear about this. Because see, once a patient comes, you should know how you are dealing with that patient. If you know properly the guidelines, then there's no fear. Absolutely. You understood, no? Absolutely. So if you are erratic, if your system is not good, then the patient will get lost somewhere. And you, he can infect any, anybody in the hospital. If you have a system in place, then he can't be missed. 
will be taken care well and the workers can be taken care well now how much of a problem do you think for the patients is this complete nationwide lockdown which has been extended uh, till the may the 3rd uh, do you think emergency patients are getting affected i mean have you have you come across any uh, i see cases? almost 95% down in the patients uh, uh, patients um, uh, what do you call um, admission or op basis 95% right. down only 5% populations are coming to the hospital that's all emergency they somehow reach the hospital uh, almost uh, last uh, uh, 10 days i operated uh, three to four bypass surgeries thank you dr nisarga thank you for the time and uh, it's lovely talking to you no problem thank, thank you. you the best way to counter the menace of fake news is to be careful about believing some messages you receive and verifying information To make things easier, here's my colleague Ahmed busting myths and debunking fake news on DH Fact Check. I'm Ahmed Sharif and this is DH Fact Check. In today's fact check, even though the development of a vaccine for novel coronavirus may not fructify in the near future, a WhatsApp forward doing rounds has claimed that an Indian pharma company has invented a vaccine for coronavirus and that the US president has asked for many vaccines. it goes on to say us is thanking india and praising indian pharma sector for making vaccines so quickly it says that the pharma companies shares will increase tomorrow and suggests to invest in it to make profit india is the first country to make a vaccine for coronavirus india will become world leader in the pharma sector it adds the text is accompanied by a picture showing three vials with a label vaccine covid-19 fact Though scientists and researchers are burning midnight oil to develop a vaccine for COVID-19, it hasn't become a reality yet. The picture shared along with the text is Reuters' representative image. Recently, videos of cash lying on the ground and police placing bricks over them and inspecting went viral. The claim was that they were the members of the Muslim community who had scattered the virus-infected notes. Alt News, a fact-checking website, found that the media had earlier reported the same videos with a report that the scattered money belonged to a man who had withdrawn them from the ATM and accidentally and unknowingly dropped them a rumor went out that the notes have been left there to spread coronavirus and people called the police who began to probe but the man whom the money belonged to soon came back and explained the situation A small clip of Delhi Health Minister Satyendra Jain has gone viral with the claim that Jain has said no one of the 30,000 people tested at the Marcus has tested positive except for a beggar sitting outside the Marcus. Alt News found that Jain has been quoted out of context. In an ANI interview, he actually said, "In Nizamuddin we scanned 30,000 people in 6,000 households. Each of them has been scanned and we found that one person was tested positive." because of the markers and that person used to sit outside the markers and beg for arms no one else has been found in this interview jain was referring to the nizamuddin area where the delhi government conducted rapid random testing which was done apart from the contact tracing and testing of people who attended the jamaat event this was not in reference to the much publicized tablighi jamaat event which led to infection among a lot of people That's our daily dose of fact check. That is it for today's episode of the Pandemic Podcast. We hope you liked this episode. If you did, do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. 
Yes, we are now available on Apple Podcasts, Google's Podcasts, Spotify and many of your other favorite platforms. Do share this podcast with your friends, family and on social media. For latest updates on coronavirus and other news, log on to deckandherald.com. Follow our social media handles on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. To be updated on the go, follow our Telegram channel t.me forward slash News for instant updates. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Take care, stay safe and stay indoors.